God says that uh, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. Uh, the wages of sin is death. God sent his son to pay that debt. And when the son died, justice was satisfied. The truth is offensive. The truth is offensive. The gospel is offensive. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. That's Acts 13, 48. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode number one of That Good Medicine Podcast. Coming to you live from Jonesboro, Tennessee, That Good Medicine Studio. Actually, in the basement of my his house. And we are coming to you after our intro episode. We wanted to start off the season two with a little short intro episode just to kind of reacquaint our listeners with, uh, you know, what we're doing, what we're trying to do. And, man, here we are, episode number one. How you feeling about this one, Seth? I feel pretty good about it. Got a lot of experience with it. Yeah. Been there, done that. Emotionally, how you feeling about this? Uh, uh, I'm full of mixed emotions right now. Yeah, yeah is it uh so we're basically doing this whole episode based on our feelings is that emotions and feelings emotions and feelings and those type of things so uh we kind of hinted at it a little bit in our intro episode but today's episode will be on altar calls are they biblical are they not biblical does it matter if you do one do you have to do one do you is it okay if you don't do one and so that's kind of Kind of you ask, honestly. Yeah, and so uh, we are in the heart of the Bible Belt here in East Tennessee, and most churches that you will attend, if you attend a Baptist or anything. Independent, it, fundamental Baptist, yeah. Pentecostal, free will Baptist, you, yes. na- you name any of them. The any of those, any like of those. That, you're going to definitely hear about altar calls. And anybody that grew up in a church that was considered any of those, like you just said, they, if they attended a church that didn't do an altar call, uh, it would feel like something's missing, right? It's liberal. It's yeah. liberal for a lot of people. Think. <laughs> it seems like, man, well, they're not doing the altar call. How's anybody going to get saved? I mean, that's how a lot of people look right. at and it. And I've thought, you know, I I can attest to that personally. I've been, I've fought that. I've been to churches, I, I attend one now, who we don't actually have an altar call. No. It's, it's well, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later, but... Uh, for somebody who is, that's the only thing that you know, that's the only thing that you're used to, when you go somewhere and they don't do that, it's like, what is going on here, right? So That's right. And yeah. I really like how our church handles it. Mm-hmm. At the end of the sermon, yeah. after they do the closing prayer, closing song, the benediction, they have people down there that you can come talk to and pray with. So sure. it drives all the emotion away from it. Yeah. And you can actually have somebody to talk to about yeah. stuff. Yeah, so... Let's let's start off with this question, and uh, I know where where I stand on this. I know where you stand on this, but we'll we'll start off with this question: Does a church have to have an altar call at the end of the service? Absolutely not. No, and so that may be a shock to most people that listen to this. What do you mean a church doesn't have an altar call? Well, why? What's the reason why they don't have to have an altar call? Well, the reason is God's sovereign salvation. Of course, that's the main. Hey, reason. man, God's sovereign. It's God's in control. 
He's in control. To, to those that may not be familiar with that term of God's sovereignty and salvation, God is in control of salvation. Yes, he's the one that gives it, and he's the one that makes it happen. Absolutely. So uh, you read an opening up there as many that were, that were ordained to eternal life. Yeah. Believed. So that takes me to John 6 uh, and 40. Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. I don't see anything in that little verse of scripture there that says everyone who comes forth, everyone who walks an altar, or walks an aisle to the altar, any of those things like that. Yeah, I don't either. And when you realize God's sovereign and salvation, it changes everything. Really, the only way you can, you can't even mess up God, you can't mess up God's plan of salvation at all. But the only thing you're required to do is preach the gospel and command men and women to repent and believe after preaching the gospel. That's it. Yeah. And so uh, also in John 6 and 44, and this is something that even as, as someone who attended churches, you know, that, that um, gave an altar call at the end of yeah. service, they would agree with this, with this bit of scripture here. Um, but in practice... You don't see it as much as because of the altar call. But this is what Christ said in John 6 also, and this is in verse 44. No one can That's right. come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So no one can come to me. That right there is the big thing on that. No one can, yeah. meaning you're not able to come to me. Right. So if you're in church and, and there's an altar call and they decide to you know, uh, invite people to come and pray to receive Christ, they physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally cannot do it unless the Father draws them. That's right. And here's the thing about that. They say, well, when the gospel's preached, isn't everybody drawn? Right. That's a big thing. Yeah. Because when Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. But there's a thing to that verse that people overlook so much Mm -hmm. when he says i draw all men to me Mm -hmm. don't mean all men like everybody in the world all those who believe it's all those that believe Mm -hmm. but i believe jesus is talking about jew and gentile Mm -hmm. because he had a jewish audience there and here's the thing right here i want you to focus on everybody who is drawn is raised to eternal life absolutely and so this may be some of our listeners may be kind of familiar with this with this question with this phrase does faith precede regeneration or does regeneration precede faith we believe and and hold that the scriptures teach that regeneration precedes faith yes you can't believe apart from regeneration your heart has changed before you ever walk an aisle god takes that stony that stony heart out and gives you a heart of flesh before you could even come to jesus right and and so when we make an altar call of walking an aisle, praying a prayer, and those type of things into a part of salvation, what happens is you're making that a condition to become a Christian. Yeah, you're you're really making up something that hurts more than it does good. Yeah, and so kind of um, rewinding back a little bit, who who was kind of the, uh, and, and some of our listeners may be familiar with this, with, with the history behind this, but who who did this kind of start with? Where did this really kick off at? It started with the revivalist Charles Finley. Yeah. I believe. Charles yeah. Finney. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. And I can't remember if that was the 1800s. Was 
Yeah, I think so. It's the second Great Awakening is basically um, kind of when it started. So um, Finney was known for having a, um, it, it was called an anxious bench. Yeah. And so if you've ever, any of our listeners has ever been to a tent revival, and I and, and listen, uh, I want to be clear in saying this too, because you know, maybe we didn't start off this clear in saying things. Uh, I'm not saying that people do not get saved at tent revivals. They don't get saved during altar calls. No. Um, I, I, I've came forward uh, during an altar call personally myself and been helped by God before. I came forth uh, to an altar before in as a child, made a profession of faith. Um, but those acts and those things that we do have nothing to do with our salvation. Well, that's right. And I want to add to what you said, Marcus. I'm not saying God can't minister to somebody there in the altar call. I want to be clear on that. There's been times when the preacher preached a sermon that dealt with sin in my life, dealt with uh, anxiety, worry, just all kinds of things. And I went and prayed to God, and he ministered to me. Mm-hmm. We're not saying that God can't minister mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. And we're not even going to say God can't save somebody during the altar call. Well, There's many people that's been saved during the altar probably. call. Millions More probably. than we could ever imagine. Yeah. But here is the truth when it comes to it. Is it biblical? Mm-hmm. That's the pros of it. God can minister to people yeah. during that. But here's the cons of right. it. Well, this is what happens. So Finney had what was known as an anxious bench, is what it was called, an anxious bench. And he would invite those that were unconverted uh, in his in his meeting he was having, he would invite those that were unconverted to come to the front and to pray. Pray with the minister, pray you know, a prayer with the people that were there. And that was part of, you know, the uh, the conversion experience, if you want to say it that way. So that's kind of, you know, where it started. It wasn't actually called an altar call until much, much later. And you kind of, you, you started to see it rise up in holiness and Pentecostal churches. I think you mentioned that earlier. But Finney's uh, anxious being, so anybody that's ever been to, and, and if you live in the Bible Belt, uh, and are a Christian or have attended church during your life at some point in your life you've probably been to uh, a tent revival I'm talking tent revival like sawdust on the ground sawdust on the ground choir choir everything. and all these things which you know nothing wrong with those there's, there's nothing necessarily sinful or wrong in those things there's nothing holy about sawdust there's nothing holy about an anxious bench that's made out of wood that people bow their knees and pray on um, there's nothing holy about uh having a tent up and out outdoors um but it's all about god god is the one who works god is the one who draws and god is sovereign in salvation so uh finney had what was called the anxious bench but we also see it kind of go forward a little bit with uh with men like dwight dwight moody billy sunday uh, those men also adopted the same kind of the same method as yeah. as, as charles finney and then you see it today in altar i mean in uh in revivals and tent revivals with guys like you know ct townsend and, and a lot of these other you know big uh evangelists uh, uh dr harrison and these guys like this and i'm not saying i want to say this again i'm not saying that people that come forth in those meetings don't become christians i'm saying there are some that do but one of the biggest cons of this altar call it's false conversion. It's false conversion. Yes, it's built on. It's built upon pure emotion. Absolutely. If I was to stand there, because they usually have you stand at an altar yeah. call, and they start play, uh, playing a song, 
and I start thinking about things, yeah. my emotions just get built up and drove up, and uh, it makes me want to go to the altar. And yeah, exactly. And so I hope that anybody that's ever listened to our podcast knows that if if we've tried to convey anything, it's do not trust your feelings and do not trust your emotions because they're up, they're down. Uh, if you're feeling a certain way, somebody can convince you to say something, to do something. And so to try to convert somebody based on their emotions is not a supernatural work of God. It is a snake oil salesman trying to get you to pray a prayer, do something. So, uh, And let's be honest about this, Seth. A lot of times it's so they can say, I had 10 people converted last night. Sadly, sadly, sadly. They want to be able to say, well, we have 150 come across. Yeah, God really met with us last night. There was 200 people that were saved. Over this week, we've had 500 people saved in this meeting. And it could become a competition between evangelists, yeah. honestly. Not saying that's what's happened with these men that we've mentioned, because I don't want to create a strong man. I don't, but we know it's happened in the past with Absolutely. some evangelists. So the, the biggest thing we want to point to, the biggest con, uh, we've said some of the pros is that God... Uh, can work during these altar calls. God, um, absolutely, the preaching of God's word does draw us to a place of faith and repentance. But it's God who does the work. Our heart has changed, and we're gifted faith and repentance. But the cons is that not everybody who comes forth and and prays a prayer and walks this sawdust trail, this aisle, is uh, actually converted. They have an emotional experience. That's right. And many people who are listening, well, I say many, maybe 15. Well, you never know. <laughs> you never grow. know. We might get 30 this yeah, year. Yeah, this, might, this, might, this one in particular may, may uh, kick kick the dust up a little bit. It might. But when people say, well, you're, you're, you're both Calvinists. You both believe in the sovereignty of salvation. Mm-hmm. I meant sovereignty of God and salvation. Like, God's going to save whoever he wants to. Why are you even fussing about altar calls? Well, I'd say this. If you're doing something wrong that's not biblical, shouldn't you care about it? Yeah, absolutely. It should be addressed. And, and what you see in altar calls in these, um, you know, what? let's be honest. This is what happens. The, uh, the evangelist, whoever's holding the meeting, or even the pastor at the local church, uh, he'll say, everybody please stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around. Yeah, I've heard that. And... 47 verses later of just as I am um, you are emotionally you have enough time to emotionally be stirred up you have enough time to think about things and that person that pastor that evangelist may say something during that time that is that specifically uh, they're, they're pointing their words in a way that causes you to be emotional and have an emotional experience yeah I mean Going back to what I said and collecting up what you said, emotion emotions can cause so much trouble. Mm-hmm. They can. Yeah. Just because you feel a certain way, don't mean it's conviction. Right. People need to separate conviction from emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and say, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, what was you gonna say? I was gonna say, say if a preacher preaches on a sin like coveting. Right. God's going to convict you of that because if you're saved and you got that sin in your life, He's going to convict you of that. Verses 47 verses of just as I am, mm-hmm. and you sit there and build up this stuff yeah. in you. There's a difference there. We yes. need to distinguish that between emotions and convictions. Yeah, the Word of God is is the thing 
that the scripture says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Yes. That is what pricks our heart. That's what convicts us. The Holy Spirit does his work. It's not an emotional response to, you know, ten songs or, you know, singing a chorus of a certain song 57 times. I'm not going to say exactly which meeting that it was that I went to several years ago, but I went to a, a big one in this area, and... Um, the preaching was about 20 minutes and I was standing for almost 40 minutes while they sang the exact same verse of the exact same song and the evangelist repeatedly said I feel like God's not done tonight well if you only preach for 20 minutes and you sing for 45 minutes you know uh, it's very. it was very clear to me at the time and now it's especially very clear that the the responses that came out of that were very emotional, and yeah. uh, and I, and I hate I, I don't want to sound critical in saying that, but God God works. The preaching of God's word is what it takes, um, and God works through that, and His Holy Spirit works and convicts our heart and draws us and changes our heart. And it's not uh, it's not all these songs and all these things. But let's talk about this um, during an altar call. Uh, and this may, you know, we may riff on this for a minute, but uh, it it's, it's almost as if, not almost, it is as if we use our will to walk the aisle, to pray the prayer, and to repent. It's it's we're we're physically doing these things out of our own will because we've been called to that by the pastor during the altar call. What would you say? What would be your response to that? I'd say this right here about. A man calling you to that if he's calling you to repentance and faith that's different mm-hmm. when he's calling you to come forth on the aisle walk or raise your hands most pastors will say most good pastors and preachers will say that won't save you mm-hmm. which is true that will not save you nobody's ever got saved because they walked the aisle nobody's ever got saved because they raised the hand they got saved because God the Father drew them and the Holy Spirit regenerated them, took out the heart of stone, gave them a heart of flesh, and they repented and believed the gospel. Absolutely. That's what happens there. Yeah. And so, um, let's talk about uh, someone else that's very big in, in this altar call, this invitation uh, type system. Um, and I know you were saved under his under his ministry, under his preaching. Billy Graham was somebody that was that adopted this same, this same method, um, which I want to say this, and, and I kind of said it a minute ago, but it goes to show you that uh, God still does work through these men. Yes, he does. The, these men that I've mentioned, um, like Dwight, Dwight Moody, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, these men, um, many people were saved under under the ministry that God called them to. Uh, but Billy Graham is another one that, that's a good example of, of calling all these people forward. Um, and this is not a knock on the man's character or anything like that. Um, but even uh, uh, Billy Graham himself would say about the altar call that it's not that 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 act of walking forward repeating a prayer all these things it's not it doesn't save you yeah well when i got saved and this goes into my testimony from billy preached the gospel to me one night when i was at work i was listening on youtube pulled up a sermon i remember asking my mamma years ago who would be a good preacher to listen to? She said, Billy Graham always preached the gospel. He preached Christ crucified. Well, that one night, I just happened to listen to it. 
and before we even got to the altar call now this is me in a boiler room at like I couldn't tell you what time it was maybe 12 o'clock at night and he said the call is to repent and believe yeah and those two things right there stuck with me having a turning from sin and putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ believing yeah. in what he done with you yeah that right there is where the power and the salvation is is in the gospel which Paul tells us that in Romans yeah. 1 yeah after the altar call I mean before the altar call even started in that video mm -hmm. my phone was down and God met with me there and saved me absolutely but the power is within the gospel if you don't do an altar call it does not mean somebody's going to be kept from being saved right that's what we got to realize here yeah if the gospel's preached you call them into repentance and you call them to faith right. if we're going to see conversions happen absolutely. eventually absolutely don't. And, and to say and, and you've you've been in this situation where say somebody's hindering somebody's hindering this tonight man can do nothing to stop the salvation of a sinner that God has ordained. That's right. If God's ordained it, man can't stop it. The devil sure can't hey, stop my. it. And people, with their actions, cannot right. stop it. That's right. Here's a quote from Billy Graham. He said, There's nothing about the mechanics of coming forward that saves anybody's soul. So this is a man who, much of his ministry, much of his time that he spent in evangelism, he spent at the end of his messages calling people forward to faith and repentance. Yeah. But he said, coming forward there's there's nothing about those mechanics that saves anybody's soul and this is this is how billy put it and and a lot of this tells uh this this kind of goes deeper in, into the theology that they believe um but he says coming forward is an open acknowledgement and testimony of an inward experience that you have had with christ so even billy graham himself uh without coming out and saying that he's saying uh during his ministry these people that came forward are coming forth coming forward and acknowledging that there's been a change already, inwardly, yeah. Yeah. and they're coming forward and acknowledging it. That in itself, I don't have a problem with that. No, I don't either. I have a problem when you drag out stuff and you say, "Well, if we don't keep going, we're going to keep somebody from getting saved." Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's just wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, we we can't. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, but I, I, that's I, with a believer. Of. I, I think that's a lot different than this situation here, and. Um, it's not that just asking people to come forward and, and uh, in and, in and of itself is wrong, but uh, I, I, you mentioned it earlier, and I do like the, the approach, and Charles Spurgeon himself used a, a similar approach, who is, uh, anybody knows about Charles Spurgeon, he is the prince of preachers, that's how he's known. He's reformed. Yeah, hey man. Um, but 1689. <laughs> he, he um, what he would do is he would have an open time uh, after the service where people could come forward or not come forward but where people could uh, come and talk to him you know whether it be in a private room or these things uh, because many times the the work of salvation um, people that are that are coming in and having these questions you know people that come forward to an altar nobody's really talking to them or somebody's telling them what to say but I think a, a more biblical approach is let's sit down and have a conversation with somebody after yeah. service if God's working on their heart it, maybe God's already changed your heart. Having a conversation with them goes a lot further. I know. Uh, I don't know if you can tell it verbatim, but uh, maybe about the, the the man that Paul Mar Paul Washer met with. You know, after the he, he had a 
evangelical event where he was calling, uh, well, he was preaching the gospel, calling people to faith and repentance, and he met with a with a man afterwards. Uh, can do you can you tell that story? Are you talking about the big he, guy when he was preaching? Was yeah. it in Alaska or something somewhere? along those lines? He was yeah. preaching somewhere, and he said, "I was preaching the gospel, and this man walked in, biggest man I've ever seen, had humongous hands." and everything and he sat down he was the saddest human being i've ever seen mm-hmm. and after the message he said sir what's wrong what's the matter with you and he took an envelope and handed it to him he said i've got so many days or so many weeks mm-hmm. i can't remember the time period to live and he said i've i know god exists i believe that's what he said and i've heard about jesus and I'm scared to death. He was worried that if he said, I live on this farm or somewhere. And he said, the only way you get there is by plane or by some kind of boat. And I'm not telling it word by word. I'm paraphrasing it. And Paul Washer talks to him and everything. He sits there and he said, listen. And this is what I love about Paul Washer. He cares about people so dearly. Most evangelists said, would have said, have you heard the message? Would you pray this prayer and be done with it? He said, sir, I will sit here and go with you through scripture till you get saved or till you die and go to hell. Yeah, till God intervenes. That's right. And he said, we will work through it. I will cancel my flight and everything. And so Paul went through the scripture with him. I don't know how long he went through with him. And he got to, I believe it was John uh, John 3, 16. And he said, I, I believe I believe and he goes how do you know you believe and he goes haven't you ever read this verse and Paul worked with him and kept on preaching and preaching to him and sharing scripture with him till he did come to conversion hmm. and that's the way it should be done yeah yeah it's um, the Christian life is is way more uh, in, in the moment of conversion it's way different you know you see radical conversions like the apostle Paul and then people have conversions that are, you know, uh, maybe not necessarily in a church setting, and maybe it's it's God working in their heart. And over a period of time, um, not saying that salvation is periodical. It, it's a, you know, it happens in a moment. Um, but God, uh, in the process of sanctification, opens individuals' eyes to learn things and to grow and, and to see these things. And um, us as Christians, the best thing we can do in, in evangelism is. Uh, tell people about Jesus, preach the gospel to them, tell them about his death, burial, burial, and his resurrection, uh, and tell how you know that we're all we're all sinners, we're all we're all uh, we're all either in Adam or in Christ. Right. There's no in between, and we've all broken God's laws. Uh, we we're all um, deserve God's wrath. Yeah. But Christ, in our place, took God's wrath. Yeah. Uh, that we could be saved, and so and if you will believe that. By the supernatural work of God, mm-hmm. you will be saved. Absolutely. So Romans 1, you mentioned it earlier, Romans 1, 16 says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Yes. To not everyone thought, that believes, the yes. Jew first and then the Greek. So not an altar call, not walking in all, not... Uh, not a sinner's prayer. Not the a gospel sinner's prayer. is the power. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. So um, all, are altar calls uh, altogether wrong? No. Uh, I can't, I can't, I, you know, maybe I'll see how you feel about this, but I can't come out and say absolutely 100% they're wrong or absolutely 100% they're unbiblical. But in my opinion, and, and this is my opinion, and this is my opinion from reading uh, throughout church history and those that were 
successful, had successful ministries to God's grace, is that a lot of times these altar calls do more harm than good because it creates false converts, false professions. Because when you talk to people outside of, of church and people that have, especially in the Bible Belt, talk to people and they say, well, you know, I, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer. And their life um, is it's been so far from the Christian life. I'm not saying that I walk around measuring everybody's fruit that they're bearing or anything like that. But I'm saying that um, if we're trusting in a, uh, a walk in the aisle, something that we did during an altar call, if we're trusting in that alone, that is a work or something that we willed ourselves. That's right. If you're trusting in something you've done, like Alistair Beck said, yes. if you answer in the first person, you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. When he was talking about why should God let you in the heaven? Yeah. yeah. What did he say? Because the man on the cross said I could The come. man in the middle said I could come. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. if we think we have anything to do with our salvation, we are absolutely insane. Absolutely. And it's very dangerous, uh, an altar call, because uh, you can look back on that and, and say, I remember a time where I prayed a prayer. I remember a time where a preacher said anyone that wants to pray here's another thing that, that i've seen and i've experienced and you have probably too uh and i made kind of a joke about it in our in our opus opening intro episode but uh, about raising our hand yeah you know nobody's saved by raising their hand uh, nobody's saved by walking and all nobody's saved by praying a prayer god changes our heart that's right and I would say this. I don't even have a problem if somebody raises their hand if the pastor wants to pray for that person. Mm-hmm. But when you try to go by emotion and drive somebody to the altar, that's just wrong. Yeah. There's a very thin line there if you see what I'm saying here. Yeah. And what bothers me so much is when the band comes up to pray and they try to drive the people forward with a song mm-hmm. by by words that, or just saying like this could be your last chance Mm -hmm. now don't get me wrong salvation ain't by chance no and it's uh, ordained it's ordained by god and this is where make a lot of people upset you don't have a choice in salvation no people say well you're insane yeah you don't have a choice you're a dead man in sin yes Dead people cannot raise themselves from death to life lazarus didn't choose to walk out of the tomb jesus said lazarus come forth yes even if you want to not even teach soteriology soteriology with that you gotta realize the bible says we're literally dead Mm -hmm. in a trespasses of our sin there's nothing we could do yeah and let me say this going with that people will say you don't have a choice in salvation what do you mean by that don't we have a decision well the decision quote unquote decision that we make is because god has drawn us and brought us to say Thou, as Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that was given to him from God the Father in right. heaven. He did not. And what did Jesus say after Flesh that? Flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. When you say you don't have a choice in salvation, now we're going to end up getting into the five points of Calvinism on this, but that's okay. We're reformed here at Good Medicine. Amen. Yeah, that's right. But here's the thing. When you say you don't have a choice, that means mean you're not responsible. You say, well, what's my responsibility? 
if I don't have a choice. Well, your responsibility is to cry out to God for mercy and mm-hmm. repent and believe. Yeah. You're to cry out to God till he grants you the gifts of repentance and faith. But here's the thing. If you study Romans 8 and realize this right here, you're hostile to the things of God. You don't want nothing to do with Jesus. You don't want nothing to do with the Bible. You just want to do your own thing is what I like to say. And that is being under Satan's rule. Mm-hmm. You think you're serving yourself, but you're really serving him. You got to realize this right here. It's all work of God. It's all of him. You cannot even come to Jesus unless you're drawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you can't. Uh, Seth says you have to um, come to faith and repentance. You have to. So automatically when we hear that, we think, well, that's something that I have to do. Yes, it is something that you have to do. But God but grants a gift for you, you to be able to do that. Why do you do it? Because God has given you that gift. Yes. And why is he giving you that gift? Because your heart has already been changed. That's right. And first or second Timothy, I can't remember which one it is, God grants you repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift from God for you to even be able to turn away from your sin. Mm-hmm. How good is our God that he would give us those gifts? Well, he's a perfect God. He's perfect. And to think that uh, we can mess it up or that we can convince people, it's its really ridiculous to think, you know, that um, doing an altar call or, or whatever the case may be can cause people to, um, that act alone causes people to come to faith in Christ. Uh, God can use that. 1,000% God can use that and has used that throughout history, no doubt about yeah. it. But that that has to be done, it, it puts pressure on people to, to do things that God has, has, has not willed them to do. It puts pressure on people um, to, it, it, it guilts it people. Is it my really way puts a lot of stress on the pastor if he don't have a biblical doctrine of salvation. Right. And, and so you'll hear people say, you know, that this ministry is not successful, successful because... You know, we've only had 20 people come forward and make a profession this year. Well, if your soteriology is dependent on preaching the gospel at the very end of a sermon and trying to convince people to come forward, maybe the problem is not with the people. It is with the message that you're preaching. It's not a decision-based. Um, it, it is a decision-based uh, a message that's preaching instead of just lifting Christ up and what did he say? He'll draw all men into yeah. it. Yeah. Decisional, I think I said that right, decisional, I got a speech impediment. Regeneration yeah. is an unbiblical doctrine. It is. It's something that's taught in most churches, most seminaries, but it's just not true. Right. And I'm not trying to start a debate here or anything, but if anybody would want to debate it, I would debate them over it because it ain't my word that makes this mm-hmm. true and infallible. It's mm-hmm. God's word that makes yeah. it true. Absolutely. And Christ said, all that the Father has given to me will come to That's me. That's irresistible grace right there. Yeah. And we will hit the five points later on yeah. working through it. All the Father gave to me. All, so those that, that were chosen before the foundation of the earth, God the Father gave to God the Son. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, said himself, all the Father gave, gave to me, Christ, will come that's right will come not might come not de- uh, depending on a, a how many you know how successful of an altar call you have or any of those things all the father gave to christ 
will come. That That's is right. sure. That is that as, is a hundred percent going to happen. You, when God says it, and the Scripture cannot be broken, it's going to happen. Absolutely, and God is uh, is true. He's true. His word is true. There's no darkness in Him, mm-hmm. and He's going to do what He wants to do. Yeah, and, and so you know, and listen to this. You can tell that we're pretty passionate about this. Uh, we've both grew up in an, an environment where everything was dependent on the last. 15 minutes of the service on the altar call that time of decision everything was dependent on that yeah. in a church service um, and what it what I've seen it produce what Seth's seen it produce uh, and even it's more good than bad sadly more bad than good you mean I meant more bad than good yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I've been to these these uh, major evangelical meetings or you know however you want to put it uh, and, and where you know they say a thousand people were saved in, in two weeks or whatever um First of all, how do you know? How did they know how many people were actually truly saved during that? Only God knows. I had truly. a good I had a good brother who's a missionary say if they profess faith in Jesus Christ and they come back to church six they're going to church, they're mm-hmm. plugged in a church for six months or longer, I shout the house down then. Yeah. Because you see true conversion in yeah. somebody yeah. after so long. Not that I mean, don't get me wrong. Apostasy could people could spend twenty years in a church and be lost, yeah. but most of the time, when you see somebody stick with it, it's not them sticking with it. It's God doing the work in them, keeping them plugged in. Yeah, and and so what what I'm getting at with that is just um, I've I've experienced this personally. I've experienced it outside of churches that I've been to. Um, is just many false converts, and this is also what it does. People um, hang on a profession that they made at a altar call. Not saying that God doesn't use that, but people hang on to those professions, and then um, they quote unquote leave the faith. And people will say, "Well, they made a profession when they were, you know, ten or eleven, however you want to say that. Put put whatever in there. Um, but then now, you know, they're they're not a part of any church. They're not. Uh, their life doesn't glorify God." And they're not interested in anything. Um, and so, what do those people have? They have a false assurance. Con- they have a false assurance and a false conversion. And so, the only hope we have as God's children that have actually been born again is that we look to Christ That's constantly. Right. We are constantly looking to Christ. It's not in anything and in, in our performance. I'm talking about afterward Christians. Our performance. We can't. We can't hang on that. We can't hang on. Um, any of these things that that point inwardly towards us, it is external, and we look to Jesus Christ. That's right. Yeah, and you could tell from somebody saved by their desires, which uh, from that is fruit, and that's the only way you can tell if a Christian's fruit. Uh, tell if somebody's a Christian if they have fruit. Not saying perfect fruit, because mm-hmm. if you and me was to go by the standard, we don't have perfect fruit. But here's the thing, the desire to biblical Jesus, Mm -hmm. the desire of things of God, the desire to stay away from sin and hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. Do you have a love for God's people? Yeah. Basically, take yourself through 1 John and see if you are saved. Even, I want to say this, even if it's just, and I said this last season, even if it's just a little bit that you have, that's assurance you can have. And I I don't want to get, I don't want to get off on, on, uh, you know, encouraging people to, to uh, you know, be lazy in their Christian life, or to um, you know, 
uh, forsake a life of Christian living for sin. But I'm saying if you have any, even if it's a little desire that God has changed your heart and you do love Christ, even if it's not perfectly, even if it's not fully, even if it's if it's on a small scale, how could you do that unless God has changed your heart? That's right. And it's got to be the biblical Jesus. Yes. And so, you know, we've been riffing on this for a while now, but I, I just want to say this kind of in wrapping this thing up, Seth, is... Is our altar calls required? Are they necessary? No. No, they're not, but they can be used for God's glory. Yeah. And when I say that, I don't say it loosely. I think they should be managed well. I think if you do an altar call, it should have somebody that knows Scripture, Mm -hmm. knows the Bible, up there with somebody talking to them. Yeah. And I don't think they should just rush them through it. Yeah. I don't think they should say, just pray this and you're all right. I think you should talk to them, and even when the altar calls over, still talk to them. Yeah. Go to the pastor's office. Go to or sit right there at the end of the church service. Mm-hmm. Talk to somebody yeah. that knows Scripture and knows what they're actually talking about and work with that person. Yeah, and, and I want to say this uh, in terms of do you need to have an altar call. I would actually discourage it. I would actually say if you are preaching a biblical gospel, if we say... Now, this is the thing. So many will say we trust the power of God and the Word of God to do the work of God. People will agree with that. Yes. If that is true, there's no need for an altar call. That's right. And going back to our home church, yeah. um, I really like how they deal with that. Mm-hmm. The, one of the elders will speak at the first of it. At the end of the message, there would be people down here that be willing to talk to you and pray mm-hmm. with you. I Even really, after the service, there's yeah, people. Yeah, I really like how they do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. They're very careful about it. Nothing emotional, no pressure about yes, it. Yes, no pressure about it. And if God's dealing with somebody's heart, when I say dealing with somebody, drawing them and convicting them, showing that they're a sinner and their need for Christ, I think that's the best way to handle it. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, the desire of Christians should be that people um, are true converts. Yes. I don't want to see an altar call and 50 people come forward and 47 of them are false converts. What good does that do? That gives people with uh, false assurance and that, that they go back out in the world and there's really just nothing good that comes out of that. And that's, so, that's such a problem. That's such an issue in our area. But just the evangelical world altogether uh, is, is so dependent on this. When we say... Uh, just as the scripture says, the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. And we believe that. Yes, we do. And I think, I talk to many sincere pastors, I do. I think that when you preach the gospel and everything, and at the end of the service, you give the call to repentance and faith, your job's done. Mm-hmm. You're done. I mean, it's over with. It's up to God to save. And it all comes back to how you view soteriology. Yeah. If you're reformed, you don't even worry about it because mm-hmm. God's going to save them. It don't mean we don't have a burden for lost people because I do have a burden for lost people. I see somebody as a fallen image bearer of God. I want them to come to Christ. Yeah. Anybody with a heart for God's going to want that. But closing on this, on altar calls, I would say they're unbiblical. Yep. I would. I'm not going to say God cannot use it for his glory. I don't see altar calls in scripture 
I definitely see for the apostles call people to repentance and faith, and I believe we should leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I don't ever want to be somebody that says let God work like we have bound God by some means. Um, there's no way. Or God's trying to save somebody. God never tried to do anything. He does. It. Yeah, what God does, He does perfectly, and He's yes. ordained and He's already decided. It's not that God's dependent on us. Um, but I, I do want to say this. Uh, if you attend a church that, that holds altar calls, um, I want you to just really think about it. I, I'm not trying to say that your church is heretical or, or any of those things like that. But what I'm trying to say is uh, think about what salvation is and think about um, the call to salvation it is a work of God. It's not something that that any man can do. Uh, a good preach, good preaching will always uh, raise Christ up, put Him out front and center. Uh, and what does that do? That causes all men to repentance. Um, yeah, and that's what we trust in. And let's talk about this real quick. I know we're wrapping up here, but um, the burden that it puts on the pastor of thinking that his success in the ministry is based on how many people come forward to an altar during his ministry it all comes back to the free will of man right do we as reformed people as biblical reformed people we believe man does have a will Mm -hmm. but it's enslaved to sin absolutely it's either enslaved to sin or enslaved to christ one of the two it has to be it's no in between and when you have a arminian type view of soteriology you definitely have a yeah. lot on your shoulders. Yeah. So for somebody that's listening, we've we've used this term a few times. Explain what soteriology is real quick before we wrap this up. It's simply the view of how you believe God saves yeah. somebody is yeah. what it is. It's the doctrine of salvation, how yeah. God works, regenerates, and saves somebody is all soteriology is. Mm-hmm. And we're Calvinist. I know I've said that before. And I know to a lot of people that's a bad word. But you've got to test your traditions and what you've been taught by the mm-hmm. Word of God. What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? Thus saith the Lord is what matters, not yeah. what your confession says in your local church or anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, probably a lot of people um, will have, you know, certain emotions, certain feelings that come up if they listen to this and, and have attended that uh, and been in that environment. I've been in it. You've been in it. You know, was kind of raised in that. Been in good conservative churches that Absolutely. preach the gospel that have altar calls. Absolutely. So, what I want to say is not to say that everybody who does this is just a bunch of heretics. No. But what I want to say is, uh, consider your your motive behind it. Do you trust God alone to draw men to salvation and women and children, uh, or do, or are you trusting? Um, or are you dependent on what happens at the end of your service? You know, that, that's the question I want to leave you with. So hopefully after this first episode, we hadn't run off all of our, every single one of our listeners. Well, uh, if we done, I hope it's been with the truth. I hope God will, will, will work in people's hearts to realize that uh, this is not something that has historically been a thing. It's something that came up at, yeah. one, at one point throughout history and it's kind of been carried out throughout history but uh going back to historical um biblical teaching and preaching uh as far back as you know you see even in the scriptures and then after that and in the early church and how the church has grown uh, it's really not something that you see until a certain point in history and then it kind of branched out to the united states and that's how why how come we see it uh, how much uh, 
as much as we do here. Yeah. So um, I think we're going to probably wrap it up around with that. You got anything else you want to say before we end? I'm just going to say, if you're wondering what we mean by Calvinist or Calvinism. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. Um, we're going to walk through each point of Calvinism. I believe we should do that next, Marcus. Mm-hmm. Work through all the five points, uh, explain them to you biblically, explain why we believe them, and point you to the scriptures because that's the only way that somebody's going to believe if the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and shows somebody the scriptures. Yeah. And this is, these are not things that we've come to just flippantly through, you know, whatever reason. This has come from somebody who uh, grew up in a uh, free will Baptist background. I grew up free will Baptist too. And kind of after that teetered into like the fundamental Baptist background, which, you know, you, you did in a sense. Yeah. Um, and this is something that uh, not just a, a, a doctrine that I've came to just, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to decide one day and believe this. It was actually just through studying the scriptures and having questions uh, and, and taking those questions not to other people, but to other places in the scripture and, and coming to that conclusion. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we really look forward to getting getting into that. And, uh, man, just season two, I think we're going to uh, hopefully gain some new listeners, probably make a bunch of people mad, but that's all right. That's all right. I don't worry about the truth yeah. offending somebody. Yeah. So I worry about it. just simply preaching the truth. Yeah. If the truth offends you, I love you, and I just want you to know the truth. Yeah, and we realize that there'll be people that listen that totally disagree with us. Sure. We love you anyways. Yeah, uh, I love you. If you're saved, yeah. Christ loves you. I yeah. love you. If you're lost, I love you and care deeply about your yeah. soul. Yeah, and we're not saying that just because your church does altar calls or just because you don't believe exactly like we do that you're not Christians. I believe God has people in all walks of life and all denominations. We're just trying to point you to Jesus and what is the most biblical uh doctrine what is the most biblical uh, presentation of of christ that we see in the scriptures and and to call you to examine those things simply sola scriptura is what we believe here what does the scripture say in the scripture alone is the only authority of the church that's right all right we'll tune in uh next week we'll have another episode uh seth said we're going to try to get into the five points of calvinism which is you know uh uh, pretty uh, it's an older uh doctrine it's kind of resurfaced here uh, in the United States, and you know, Presbyterian churches have held to it for quite some time. But and some reform—I mean, all Reformed Baptists, all Reformed Baptists are, are holding to it, and, and something that we see throughout the history of the church. Uh, and as we study Scripture, we'll get into to this some more. So, uh, if nothing else, we'll 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 talk to you next time. And uh, we just want to say thanks for listening. Good night, and God bless.